Welcome to Books on Air, the podcast that tells the story behind the book. It includes insights from authors about how they compose their work, what inspires them, and what they hope you'll take away from their book. Here's your host for this episode of Books on Air, Suzanne Harris. Welcome to the Books on Air podcast. I'm Sloan Fremont, filling in for Suzanne Harris. This is a podcast where listeners get the secret story behind every book. Joining me today is Bruce Bastian, author of the book, 13 Months in the Bush in Vietnam in 1968. This is a story of his 13 months in Vietnam as a United States military infantry grunt in 1968. It is the story of how they lived, what they ate, where they slept, and the battles they fought. It describes the boredom, terror, and funny things that occur over a long year in Vietnam. The Vietnam War era isn't often talked about, but Bruce recounts what it was really like during that time. I think you may be surprised to find that the public perception of Vietnam doesn't really tell the full story. Bruce's book balances out the skewed public idea that everything in Vietnam was evil and horrible. He shares another side to this story, which is one of personal growth, learning about friendships, love, compassion, and courage. Bruce, welcome to the Books on Air podcast, and thank you for your service. Well, Sloan, thank you very much for having me on the show. So let's start out by telling the audience just a little bit about yourself and what led you to write your book, 13 Months in the Bush in Vietnam in 1968. Well, I'm now currently recently retired, so I had some time. And I'm thinking about um, writing the book because uh, I wanted to include the, my stories and leave something for my family and my friends. I also wanted to include some of the stories that my friends who were there wrote along the way. So those are included in the book also. Right. And so let's talk a little bit about maybe to start out. As I said in the intro that, um, you know, there is a public perception of Vietnam, but it, it doesn't really tell the full story. And, and your book, um, you, you know, really gets into that. So can we talk, can you share some examples with us about, well, while you are in the middle of war, there are some good things happening, too. Well, I think the uh, public perception is that everything was evil and terrible, and there were those things there that were evil and terrible. But mm -hmm. it wasn't pervasive. It wasn't all the time. We spent a, a year, 13 months there, and over that amount of time, you couldn't have everything being evil and terrible. So I wanted to balance that out and just... Uh, let people know what it was like to be there for an entire year. It was unpleasant, it was mundane, it was sometimes funny and hilarious, and uh, you made a lot of friends while you were there doing that. Right, and that's, you know, the, the, the media portrays, you know, the Vietnam War as a, a certain way, right? And, and there's pictures that are um, shown again and again and again. But like you said, when you're, when you're in it every day, um, there's more to it than that. And so you talk about, the friendships and the camaraderie um, and, you know, obviously the military is made, made up of, of all kinds of people from all kinds of different backgrounds, but at the core of it, we're, we're all humans, right? We're all humans who share feelings of love, respect, and in this sense of maybe duty and honor to each other. Um, I think you probably especially experienced that in a difficult time, such as war, but how did this camaraderie or how did, how did you see this play out during your time in Vietnam? Well, I think it was uh, a lot like being in high school and going through a, being on a sports team. 
you build a camaraderie with the people that are on the team. You, you help each other along the way. You, you root for each other, and uh, you just do what you can. Uh, it was like that. It, and anything you uh, you go through with a group of people, you build up that trust and relationship. Right, and that's especially in, and I would think in the military, you're you're dependent on that, right? Because you have to trust other people to have your back or to be there for you or to, um, you know, be be your be there, be the person that's with you. Yeah, that was one of the things that was really common among, uh, especially Marines. I was in the Marines, and. Uh, you just just by being there and you're all going through the same thing you're all having the, the good times or you're all having the bad times at the same time and you just help each other through it right so we when you talk in your book um let's maybe also start out by talking about who who would you say your book appeals to and why well first of all i wrote it for myself and my family and friends but I also wrote it for my friends who were there, and I included some of their stories in the book, too, to try to keep them alive and show us something about us after we're gone. But then, more generally, I think it's appealing to Marines who have been in the Marine Corps and then military people who have been in the military for one reason or another. But it's also probably interesting for history buffs. Mm-hmm. And then people who like to read about stories about of coming of age, uh, of learning and becoming something. Right, right. And and like you said, keeping that those stories alive, right? Because um, it it wasn't often talked about. And there's, um, you know, the media portrays one side, as I've said, and often movies, I think, portray one side as well. But having the importance of having this documented and so that people can, um, you know, as you as we said at the beginning about offering that other perspective of, of what it was really like to be there. Yeah, exactly. And one of the things we hear quite a bit is that uh, vets don't talk about it. And yeah. there's, it's hard to talk about. Uh, sometimes right. they've gone through some trauma things that uh, just they don't want to bring up again. And some just don't feel like talking about it. Um, what the, the common thing people would say, the vets would say, is that you had to be there. And they don't feel like they can describe it adequately, so they don't try. Right. And, and there's, I would imagine, a lot of emotion involved in that too. Where even sometimes it's hard to express those emotions for things that maybe have been that were difficult, or that where you feel maybe alone in that, or that um, because nobody can, else can understand, I can't talk about it, and so that those emotions kind of stay inside. Well, you t- say it better than I ever would be able to. Uh, <laughs> that's exactly what happens. Uh, it builds up inside, and Vietnam is something that just stays in you stays with you forever and it's it's always trying to get out and it comes out and spits and fur, spurts uh, through dreams or sometimes just by smelling something it'll, it'll burst out but generally it's tucked away high, hidden down there and it doesn't want to come out yeah and so when that happens when those memories come up or, or they you know you have something like you just mentioned like a, a smell reminds you of something um how do you manage that or how do you how does that um, does it stay down in, or are you, over time, does it come out a little bit more at a, at a time? Well, unfortunately, it generally comes out in bits and spurts, but uh, sometimes it'll burst out all at once. And it, it comes out with feelings, uh, lost feelings for people that you, your family, the people that you love, your friends, and uh, usually antagonistically. 
uh, and has a need to be subdued, usually with alcohol or drugs. Right. Right. And it's, um, I think, you know, you know, my dad was in, in Vietnam as well, and uh, definitely not something talked about within our family or, um, it you know, it was just something that was, you know, in the, in the past, but we don't bring it up in the present, right? It's not, we don't want to talk about it. And uh, I think that also when, like, again, like you were saying, you want to get this out. You want people to know this is, this is how it was. Um, when it's not talked about, those stories are forgotten or they're, they're missed or they're, um, you know, maybe there's a side of a family member who, who served that you don't know about and um, being able to talk about this and making it more um, maybe acceptable or more um, like it's okay to talk about is, is so important, I think. Well, it is for a lot of people for it to come out and, and get it out in the open and relive those things and, and have it be past it. Getting past it is, is tough. And getting it started properly is also very tough for a lot of guys. I was fortunate that I never had so many traumatic experiences that I couldn't talk about it, but there are those guys. Anyway, this book is, uh, when it's been released, I've some of the reviews I've had have been from guys who did that, and they said it really helped them. They really liked it, and it was help help them able to get past it. Yeah, that's amazing. Yes, your book has over eight hundred positive re reviews on Amazon. So congratulations on your success there. That's amazing. Thank you. That was a little surprising. <laughs> <laughs> well, it just shows how the message resonates, right? Like how you chose to take another angle. You told your story. You got that out, and um, the response was. People loved it, right? They wanted that. They there was people like you're saying, people that probably needed that. That maybe, uh, especially after over time, there wasn't a. Uh, maybe it was hard to reintroduce it, or hard to, um, or you know, hard to bring it up again. But your book, um, it sounds like, helped people get through that. Well, I think it did, and most people, almost everybody, had a really positive view of it. And they, what I'm really proud of is that they said that was exactly right on. I didn't yeah. want to look like I was just BSing people and right. I tried to make it as honest and as true as I possibly could. And I've had a lot of the reviews just say, yeah, it was right on. That's exactly what, what it was. It reminded me of this and that. Yeah. And so having that, again, that, like we talked about having that historical, you know, that here's, here's the story, here's what happened and having that down um, is so, is so critical. So can you share a little bit about the book? Maybe, um, something in the book that you want that, that you're maybe most proud of or that um, during that time that, um, that you experienced that you want the listeners to know about? Well, the, uh, the funny incidents that I wrote about, I'm real proud about, and also the incidents where I learned something and grew from it, I'm kind of proud about. Uh, I came out of it with a positive attitude, and so I'm proud of that. I was able to come back home whole and uh, not wounded and uh, coming home period was a good thing yeah but uh, I think that uh, the incident incidents where I learned something are the, the the best and it helped me become who I am and I think the whole entire experience is uh, what helped me become who I am right so can you share an example of that maybe of something you learned during and that it carried with you through your life or helped shape who you are today Exactly. Uh, we, I had been there for several months and we'd been on operation most of the time, but we had a, kind of a reprieve. We were waiting for another company to leave the, the area we were going to take over. 
and we had nothing to do for a couple of days, but we sat on the beaches at Lang Cove, which is a beautiful, in those days it was a fishing village. And uh, at night there was no human-made lights to be seen anywhere. And I would sit out on the beach and I would watch the, the waves come in and they would uh, turn green with the phosphorescence mm -hmm. from plankton and so on. And that was just beautiful. And by the way, right at that time, the temperatures weren't too hot or too cold, and it was just perfectly comfortable. But the, what I remember the most was sitting on the beach there in a clear sky, completely black all around, night sky, and millions and billions of stars out there. The Milky Way was hanging out over the ocean there for us to look at. And I just sat and stared at that and maybe tripped out a little bit. But uh, I felt the age of the universe. It just hit me all of a sudden. The universe has always been here, and it always will be here. And it seemed to be saying to me that if you guys want to cause your commotions down there and fight, you can do it all you want. But in the big picture, it's not going to mean a thing. Wow, yeah. What an amazing perspective during that time to be able to look up and see that and almost maybe took you to another place than where you actually were. Exactly. Yeah, it was very tranquil and uh, and inspiring. Mm -hmm. Can you share some of the funny stories with us? Well, the funniest story that I can remember, and you have to remember, at the time when these things happened, they probably weren't quite so funny. But in <laughs> hindsight, looking back at them, they were really good. And this one, I, I call it in the book, I call it Jenkins Shoots the Moon. And we had been at a place called... Um, Claymore Pass. It was a hill that overlooked Highway 1 and also the Lanco Lagoon. And our goal where was to send out patrols at night and protect the bridges and look for the bad guys. But uh, this one night, Jenkins and I were sitting in our uh, fighting hole, and we were the last people before you, you got into the uh, trail that went down the hill through the jungle. So anybody coming up to get to us had to come through us, Jenkins and me, first. So that was a scary place to be. We were there all alone. There's the two of us. And it, the entire place was, was scary. There was a story about a, a tiger who had dragged off a Marine. And wow. a few nights before this, uh, there was a bear that came up through the lines and got killed, unfortunately. But uh, And the monkeys would sneak up to us at night and throw rocks at us. And it always <laughs> seemed like hand grenades coming in. So right. Jump on the ground. And so it, it was a pretty scary place. And of course, there was no lights around, so it was dark as heck. And anyway, it was my turn to sleep, and Jenkins was on watch. And uh, I'm, I'm trying to get to sleep, and all of a sudden I hear, Bastion, come out here. And it sounded, he sounded scared, so I kind of woke up. I better go see what's going on. I crawled out to the front, and he points up into the sky with a shaking finger, and he's looking, he says, what's that? And what it was, it looked like a, an orange glowing parachute, and it looked to be jumping across the sky. And I thought, what in the heck is that? Well, Jenkins was so frightened at that, and he didn't know what it was, so he said, I'm going to shoot that son of a gun. And he <laughs> blew off a couple rounds, and I saw the tracers go into it, and I said, you got it, but nothing happened. It just sat there. Well... We didn't know what to do. We were looking at this thing, trying to figure out what it is and what's going to happen. And, of course, the people on the other side of the hill heard us shooting, and they they came running to find out what's going on. 
And the first thing you have to know is that if you hear something in the bush, you don't fire at it because they'll know where you are because of the flash. Mm -hmm. And uh, you're supposed to throw a grenade. Well, as we were sitting there, we noticed that the, the clouds in the sky were breaking apart and showing more open sky and that they had been moving pretty fast because it was actually windy out. We didn't notice that. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, a full moon had risen over the mountains out on the horizon. And we saw that we had been looking at an orange full moon coming up. And Jenkins had shot at it, and I thought he had hit it. And uh, so we're kind of relieved that we at least we know what it is, but we're embarrassed for doing that. And by that time, those guys got, came around from the hill, and they wanted to know what was going on. And I, I didn't want to tell them that Jenkins was shooting at the moon. So I said, Jenkins heard something. And the lieutenant, he was livid. He, he was really mad at us. He said, you dumb son of a guns. Don't you know that if, if you hear something, you're supposed to throw a grenade? Otherwise, they're going to know where you're at. And Jenkins now was so relieved at knowing what he was shooting at that he says, yep, now the moon know where I at. <laughs> oh, well, and that goes back to that camaraderie we talked about, right? Protecting each other. You're not going to throw, you know, put him out there when he was um, to embarrass him or anything. You're going to cover for him, too. Oh, yeah. Cover for both of us. We're, right, we're right. Both dumb grunts. <laughs> <laughs> so can you tell us maybe a little bit about what was the most challenging part of writing your book? The challenging part about writing my book was uh, trying to get it to be fairly consistent and coherent with a timeline because in all these years, it was over 50 years since I wrote it and uh, uh, I'd forgotten things, uh, forgotten the timelines of what things were. So I had to contact the guys that were there, I was there with, that I, was, that I knew about and coordinate with them. Mm -hmm. And they're still going to tell me that I'm all guy got it all wrong, but uh, <laughs> this is uh, the best I can do. Right, right. And, and so did anything surprise you during this process of writing the book? Yeah, I was surprised that I remembered so many stories. Uh, once I had, I had it started with a few stories. And then as I wrote those, I remembered other things and began branching out and putting those stories into it. And it did become a, a fairly coherent timeline. I think it's pretty accurate. Mm hmm. Well, and that kind of goes back to what we were talking about when you start to open up to it, how, um, you know, more, more and more comes out um, because it's not being held in anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we've been taught over the years that, you know, war is fought to protect the good guy from the bad guy, right? And, and the U.S. is um, considered the good guy, protecting its citizens from bad guys. So we've seen this play out time and time again, and, and even to this day. So can you tell us a little bit about, about the military? And, and we hear this, this phrase, the military industrial complex. Can you tell us a little bit about that and maybe what that, you, how you've seen that morph over the years? Yeah, I'd like to do that. Um, that was one of the surprising things to me too, when I went to write, write the book. Uh, I was there in 1968, late 1967, and that was a year of turmoil in the United States, as well as Vietnam. Vietnam became unpleasant for most of the country, and the military and the government went from being relied upon and thinking they were doing the best they could do for us and protecting us from communism. Uh, it morphed into, um, well, that we were baby killers, basically, that we were imperialists, and that it was all bad. And... Um, so I think the military and the government took a bad hit 
in that year because of the Vietnam War. Yeah, and, and partly, I mean, I would have to think the, the portrayal of that by media or the messaging around that. Well, yeah, that was probably what was going on here in the States at that time. I was over there then. Right. But when I came back and saw what was going on uh, and heard it on the news and so on and put things together, uh, it just it seemed it rang true to me that the military industrial governmental complex had gone awry and they were in it just for their own political expediency. Right. Yes. And we hear that today as well, right, with with some of the events going on. And um, I, I mean, I'm not time you know, being there and, and seeing the reality that you saw and then coming back and seeing maybe how it was described or the impression that other people were um, getting about it was, um, I would imagine, rather because it, it, they, it was not the same. Well, being a grunt over there, I didn't know too much about what was going on in the States at the same time. But uh, even among the military guys there who were gung-ho and pro-country, which I was, uh, we uh, did, couldn't understand why we weren't securing the things that we had won. Why were we just going in, winning a village or winning a hill, and then leaving it and having to do it again? And right. when I got back, I could see that we really weren't accomplishing anything. Right, right. And then I, I'm sure the questions come after that. You know, why? <laughs> well, yeah, why exactly? It, it, you have to realize that the politicians are in it for their money, for the contributions from the business people who are making money selling weapons and munitions to the military. Right. Right. And like you said, it, I think it's continued on to this day. Right. Yeah. That, that, and that's a big topic to, uh, to maybe some listeners might be new to that. And um, so there's, there's a lot there to, to consider. Um your book has been a huge success, like I said, with over 800 positive reviews on Amazon. Um, do you still keep in touch with friends from that time? And what was their feedback? Well, I do keep in touch with some of them. Uh, some of them aren't around anymore, unfortunately, but uh, the ones that I do talk to every once in a while, uh, we keep in touch. And their feedback on this was all great. They, they supplied uh, me with some of their stories and they encouraged me on mine. And, um, yeah, we've kept in touch a little bit. We all live pretty far apart, so it's hard to right. see each other. But every once in a while, a phone call. Right. Awesome. Yes, that's amazing. And my guest this week has been Bruce Bastian, author of 13 Months in the Bush in Vietnam in 1968. Bruce, again, congratulations on the success of your book. What's one thing you want to leave the readers today with to make sure they know about your book and your time in Vietnam? Well, I think this is a, a look at the mundane parts of the the war from a true perspective everything is true as far as i could remember uh there's nothing uh, made up about it at all and just go there and find out what really happened and how it really was uh, what life was really like right yes bruce thank you again for joining us today and being our guest on books on air well thank you sloan it was fun being here Yes. You can find more about Bruce's book, 13 Months in the Bush in Vietnam in 1968 on Amazon. And I'll link to Bruce's website and the book in the show notes. So be sure to check that out. 
You've been listening to the Books on Air podcast brought to you on webtalkradio.net. You can also hear this podcast on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Apple Podcast. I'm Sloan Fremont, and I hope you'll join us for the next Books on Air podcast. Remember, you never know who's going to be here, and you never know what we're going to talk about. Thank you so much for listening.